Pastor for Anchor Church. We will be concluding our study in 1 Peter today, so you can go there with me. If you do not have a Bible, you can get one over on the table over there. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, I would beg you to just take that with you and read it. Uh, contained there within are the words of life. Um, quick announcement. Uh, this evening we go to Union Gospel Mission, or some of our folks go to Union Gospel Mission. Um, if you can go and do that service, that would be great. We still have a couple people that we need to help there. Um, so there's a thing on the city, or you can come ask somebody. We'll get you connected there. Uh, I will pray for us, and we'll dig into this text. Uh, King Jesus, we come here today to glorify you. We come here to make much of your name. We come here today as your people to point everything we have to you, to take as much attention off ourselves as possible and put it on you and who you are. We, we, we just pray and ask that today the thing that would mark us and then the life of this church would mark us is the gospel that we are your people and that we live for you and to make your name famous. We live in a world that loves to make ourselves famous. We live in a time and a place where we make ourselves little celebrities. And I just pray for us that we would resist and throw off every temptation to take center stage, but to, to, to have our whole lives and everything about our lives reflect that you are our greatest treasure. You are our only treasure. And Jesus, that you are our everything. We can only do this by your grace and mercy and by the power of your spirit. So I pray that for us today. Jesus, we do love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy. And in your name, Jesus Christ, amen. Um, so today, uh, Peter's going to conclude the letter really on this high note of humility. Uh, and I think this is so important for us. There are so many things that as you're working your way through the Bible, as you get there, and as you explore it, you'll say, you look at it and say, man, this is so relevant. And, 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 and we live in a time and a place where people need to hear this so desperately and so bad. And the more I dig in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I see things and I say, People need to hear this message. And that's because this message is God's message. And it's outside of time. And it's not just our time or our place. Or that people aren't humble today in America in 2015. Which they're not. But that that is not a new problem. And we see this theme of humility running throughout the Scriptures. We're going to dig into Genesis 1-11 through starting next week. And my hope there is that, that if you don't feel comfortable in that text, that you would learn to be comfortable in that text. It is the front of the Bible. It's there for a reason. Uh, but we'll, I'll gear down and we'll start there next week. Uh, but the thing that I want us to understand is that so much of what Moses is trying to convey to us in those early chapters of Genesis is the awe and the wonder and the power and the glory of the One who made absolutely everything. And for us to stand in His awe and be humble. The word glory in Hebrew has the connotation of heavy. That there's a heaviness of being in the presence of God and thinking about God and thinking big things about Jesus and who He is. And this theme runs throughout the Scriptures. You see, it. They, they, they don't want to go in to meet with God. Send Moses. It's scary. Uh, we want to be humble. Send Him in. Uh, we can't deal with it. Uh, Micah chapter 6. Do justice. Love loving kindness and walk humbly with your God. One of the major themes of the book and honestly one of the major themes of the text and of the Scriptures and of the Bible. And as we dig in, uh, we see Jesus. Good night. We see Jesus doing amazing things. Even just starting with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who understand who they are and who God is. We sit humbly 
in that place. Uh, Jesus says things like, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing when you're giving. Why is that? Because it's not about you. It's about responding to the amazing one who made all things, Jesus Christ, and responding by being generous. He says things like, don't throw yourself a parade. When you do good things and you do kind things, don't throw yourself a parade. This is the paraphrase, mind you. Uh, Don't sound the trumpet so everyone will praise you. And I I think the reason Jesus says that, because in that, we're trying to displace God from his right place in the center and his right place in the center of praise. And we're taking credit for the things that he gave us to give away to begin with. This is huge. I mean, we have a, a phenomenon in 2015. We're still in 2015, right? The humble brag, right? We have a whole network of social media, internet, and every other thing to draw attention to ourselves. And the closest we come into humility as we try and steal that spotlight because you care that I went to go pet some kittens. Do you pet kittens? You pet a dog. You pet kittens. You, that I'm st- you need to hear on my Twitter feed that I did this amazing thing. I am amazing. See how cool and awesome I am. We have a whole world that is built around putting ourselves in the center and not being humble that we've had to invent a thing called the humble brag, which is the best we have where we say, I'm so cold because I gave my coat away to somebody else. Poor me. Oh, he gave his coat away to somebody else. Get it? It's a humble brag, apparently. We want to be a humble church. That's what Peter's after for us. Humble humble pastors, humble members humble church. Because as Christians, when we see the gospel and when we see Jesus for who he is, that's all we've got left. When you actually behold that the God of the universe came into human history, took on human form, emptied himself of his divine rights, lived here on earth with us, died in our place for our sins to make us right with God, not because of anything we've done, but everything he has done, dying on the cross, bleeding, raising from the dead, and making us right with God in that process, making us the church that we are through that act 2,000 years ago. All we can do is come to God with empty hands. That the best of our service is a gift. The best of our love and of our life is a gift. The best we can understand His Word is a gift. He came and got us. I mean, this is beautiful, right? I mean, we don't like this as Americans because we like to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we like to, to, to do the work ourselves and we want to get the A from our own work. We want to get the A for the effort that we did. The reality is there's no effort you can do to save yourself, but that Jesus did all of the effort, and this is the gospel. This is the good news. And so in light of that reality, Peter writes to this church, in light of the reality that God has done it all, I mean, I love singing that song, right? All to him I owe, right? Why? Because absolutely every, including the breath in my lungs that I'm using to speak this word, it belongs to him. Which means if you're ever in the spot of sitting as a preacher, you don't ever get to get down and give yourself a pat on the back, right? If you come up here and you deliver correctly the good news that Jesus saves sinners from death to life, that's not my eloquence. That's not anything I've done. If that affects any human being, including myself, it's a gift. This means, by the way, our humility is that we're people who are soaked in a life of gifts. This is what it is to be a Christian. And soaked in these gifts and soaked in this life, Peter concludes this letter about suffering 
or really speaking much about suffering. Here in chapter 5, talking about humble pastors, humble members, and a humble church. I'll go ahead and dig in. There is much here to be said, uh, and I think honestly much here we need to hear. Uh, And as much as this can become a blueprint, like much of the Bible should be, for how we do church and do life and do life together, we'll be, better, we'll be better off for it. Because I think, honestly, what we have here, as we dig in and I'll talk about this, uh, we have something different here than what's happening in the church in North America, in Canada, in America in particular. We have something different being offered by Peter. And I'm, I'm seeing it in our own community. And I think the different thing that he's offering us here is really, really wonderful. Let's dig in. So I exhort the elders among you. Uh, we use, at this church, we use the word pastor and elder as synonyms. Pastor is the Latin word for shepherd, pastor, elder. He's going to talk about elders as shepherds, pastor, elder, synonyms. That, and it's honestly, like, as much as I would just like to call everybody elder, it's just kind of a little too Star Wars and weird, especially for new people. Like, that guy doesn't look that old. Is he an elf? What's, a, what's going on? Anyways, so I exhort the elders. So pastors, think elder, think pastor. So I exhort the elders among you. Now hear this. this is, I know, I know. Every week I say it, and every week I'm going to keep saying it. Work slowly through the text. It's important. It counts, and it counts, and I'll show you why it counts. So I exhort the elders among you. One, doesn't say one, I'm just saying one to point it out. As a fellow elder, two, and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and three, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. I'm writing you pastors. Remember, this is Peter. He's nearing the end of his life. He's had a good, long, faithful, humbling, uh, at times failing life in the gospel of Jesus Christ as we, as we leave this letter with him. It's not just that he fails Jesus when he, doesn't, when he, when he fails to associate himself with Jesus right before the cross. Uh, we also hear about him failing where? In the same region that he's writing to in the letter to the Galatians uh, in Antioch where he's there and he, he, he starts getting back into his old routine of sort of the law and works righteousness. He fails, right? But here's the deal. Christians, we fail too, right? One of my children's favorite questions right now, because he's reading his story Bible, and it's a good, good theological question, is why didn't God's people listen to him? Great question, son. Why didn't God's people listen to him? And he asked me that question maybe 30 times a day, which is a really, really good reminder for me. But in it, we have to say, well, why, why don't I listen to him, son? Why, why don't I do it? I, I don't believe something about him. I, I'm sinning when I'm doing it. Why don't you listen? Why don't I listen? And remembering that that's covered in the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we're not perfect people and we're being continuously changed by who God is. And even God was working on Peter. Right? This is the reality. To be a pastor, to be an elder in a church is not to be a super saint. Right? It's not to be better than other people. As we see, it's to be an example as to be what a typical Christian should look like. That does not mean sinless and perfect, because that's what Jesus does, right? If you want to put me or Joe or any of our other guys on that sinless, perfect plane, we're going to have a problem, because I'm not. Just for the record. Ask my sister, she'll tell you all about it. Okay. So I exhort the elders among you. What? Number one. 
as a fellow elder, pastor to pastor. This is old Pete, and he's pulling them in, right? He's, he's pulling them in. Friends, listen, as, as a guy who's done your job, who's done the thing that you're doing, come and listen to me as a fellow elder. Number two, he begins to pull out the big guns on his resume here. A, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Oh, <laughs> fellow elder and apostle. <laughs> got it. So you've got something to offer. You've got something to say. Look at his humility. What does he start with? As a fellow elder. As a, as a shepherd. As, as a pastor. Oh, and by the way, when they sing the song, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Peter can say, yes, I was. He was there. But, but again, this is, this is why it's so important to read slow. Listen. I, I think this next one is the one that really kind of, it's great. As a fellow elder, pastor to pastor, as a witness, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, so as an apostle, apostles are eyewitnesses to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, to the resurrected Christ. Well, specifically the resurrected Christ, uh, if we're getting very technical, because Paul didn't see him crucified, but did see him resurrected. Sufferings of Christ. Uh, number three, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Pastor, apostle, Christian. Christian. Let's not forget the apostles are Christians. These are sinners saved by grace. Pastor, apostle, Christian. Human being. Follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I exhort the elders among you. So I'm calling you and I'm calling you to something. It's exhort, calling you to something. Uh, So I exhort the elders among you, pastors, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Jesus is going to put the world back the way it is supposed to be. We are in the process of living out the great commission of taking the gospel to the ends of Seattle and to the ends of the earth. And wherever people have not heard that Jesus saves sinners, we bring the message and the news because there's no greater news than the news that Jesus has risen from the dead and we are alive in him. And you can be alive in him too. That is why we live. That is why we exist. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, apostle, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. He's standing on it. I am partaking in the return of Christ and the restoration of all things. Why? Because I belong to Jesus. If you are a Christian today, this is true of you. The same thing that is true of Peter here is true of every believer in the room. It's as true now as it was then. Amazing. I mean, honestly, sometimes, I don't know if you feel this way, I mean, I'm ready to just close it up and let's sing, right? He's risen. He's coming back. He's putting everything back the way it's supposed to be. But he's got things for me specifically, I guess, which is awkward. Then when you read a thing to the elders, you're an elder, you're preaching, and all of a sudden, this is for me, I guess, Um, which is kind of like we're having a counseling session or something all of a sudden. (laughs) Two. Verse two. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Word can mean kind of a lot of little different things, but but like tending sheep, right? I have goats that live in my backyard because I live in Seattle, and that's weird, right? Um, there are things that are involved in taking care of goats or a flock. You feed them, you water them, you pet them, uh, you get them back in their cage when your seven-year-old lets them out, right? There are things that are involved, but but it involves care and caring for them. Uh, 
He's got, this can literally be translated like feed. Like feed the sheep. I think, and we believe as a church, just so you know where we're at, the primary responsibility of the elders of the church fall in teaching and disciple-making. That's, that's our main jam job. We have other things we have to do to keep the church running, but the point of this church is not that I would cast some amazing, big, Andrew-made vision and everyone gets around and says, Yeah, Anchor Church is going to take over the world! Yeah! Because the biggest Andrew-made, elder of Anchor Church-made vision is so small. Is so small to the vision of Jesus Christ. It is so small compared to Matthew 28. It is so small to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. My biggest vision for this church is nothing. Is nothing compared to God's vision for this church and God's vision for His church. We don't want to make some mission for Anchor Church. We want to get on God's mission for Seattle, for His glory and for our joy. And His mission in Seattle is that the message of Jesus will be taken here and people would live. Humble elders go with God's vision. I mean, I could, I could bring out the whiteboard. I'm really good with a whiteboard. The guys who've been in class with me will know. I make all these signs and symbols. I get all different colors. And then I turn into a humble brag and say, oh, I got these markers on my hand because I'm so awesome at the whiteboard. I don't know why I told you I'm awesome at the whiteboard. There it is, right? But when I'm done, you're like, oh, look at the triangles. There's triangles all over the thing. And there's fancy words in all the corners. Great vision. Great vision. Yay! Take the member's class. You'll see it. Um, I digress completely and totally. What I'm trying to say is that there's a job given here. To shepherd, to feed, to care. So what do we do? What do, what do I see my job? I'm the preaching pastor of the church, right? So what's my job? Well, it's to preach. Um, I like to preach. I love to preach. I love to, to stand and say, not because I like the lights, because they get in my eyes and I don't like it, but I love to tell people the old, old story. I love to open this text with you. I love to help you read it better for yourselves. And I love if you've never heard the good news of Jesus, that you would know that he's risen from the dead and you can live too. I live for that. I, love, I live to be a Bible guy. But, but I have a job here, and one is to proclaim, and the other is that this text, this Bible, you don't leave here thinking, oh, Andrew's amazing. Did you see what he did with that participle? Oh. <laughs> My job is that you would leave here saying, Jesus is amazing. And you forget all about this guy. Who cares about this guy? Well, Jesus loves me, this I know. But, but I, don't, I, don't, I don't want it to be, oh, man, the thing about the goats was hilarious. I want it to be, man, Jesus is coming back. Huh! Let's go tell some people about Jesus. Let's do it. My neighbor needs to know. My neighbor needs to know this. My job is to do the John the Baptist dilly, right? Don't look at me, look at him. And in that is that, that I don't want you just to leave with the impression of his glory and his wonder and he's glorious and wonderful, but I also want you to be able to own the text better and better for yourself, that you leave here a better student of the word because this is your Bible. 
Not mine. Well, this one says my name on it. But it's your Bible. It's your word. It's your text. I want you to be able to do this. I want you to be able to do this work. I want you to be able to say, ah, that's confusing. I wonder how I could figure that out better. I wonder how I could get in this text. I wonder how I could understand that word. I wonder how I could give my life more and more to being a Psalm 1 kind of person who delights in the Torah in the day and in the night and gives your life to loving God's word. And not just so that you can be a Bible nerd. I am, but you'd know the God who wrote this text that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So that's, I, I see this in uh, uh, Ephesians 20, right? What's, what does Paul say? Ephesians, I always do that because he's in Ephesus. It's Acts 20. There's no Ephesians 20, not a heretic. Um, it's in Acts 20, but he's in Ephesus, but a broken human being nonetheless, right? It's Acts 20 to the Ephesian elders. He says things like, your blood's not on my hands. Because I, I preach to you. He says it twice in there. He, he makes two references to preaching the whole of the counsel of God. That's why we skip around the text. We're going to be, there's three sections as the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, is divided up. The writings, the Torah, the first five books of Moses, the writings, and the prophets. So we try and skip around those. And we skip around the, the New Testament. We try and go Old Testament, New Testament. We try and do everything we can to get around this very awesome, big and dense book as often as we can with the 40 minutes I get a week to do so. Which sometimes is a bit of a marathon, especially when you look at your timer. In addition to that, I think it's the, the elder's job. He, Paul gives us a picture of preaching in public and doing this public ministry and also house-to-house ministry. Making disciples. Doing the same thing he tells Timothy to do. 2 Timothy 2 and 22. Tim, I want you to take what I gave to you and give it to somebody else who's going to give it to somebody else. Our, our whole discipleship thing is based on teaching people to be able to read the Bible so they can teach other people to read their Bible without a curriculum. With a book called the Bible. Yeah, curriculum's okay. Throw on the video, whatever. I get so fidgety. I can't watch the video. I don't want to watch the video. I want to read the Bible to somebody. That's what I want to do. But hey, if you're into the, the video curriculum, great. I like reading the Bible. Um, but this is, this is the other piece. It's discipleship. It's, it's helping. It's the shepherding. It's the caring. And, and on the spectrum, we have sort of acute problems, which is biblical counseling, which is helping people deal with junk that hits the fan in their life. And on the other side of that, we have helping you understand what the Gospels. And, and those are all things on one spectrum. It's not like, oh, we have the counseling stuff over here and the discipleship stuff over here. The discipleship stuff for, is for Christians who are all right and everything's not wrong in their life and everything's perfect and plucky and ducky and awesome and great and wonderful over here. And then over here, this is for the messed up people, right? Because the reality is on some level, when we understand who we are in the Gospel, we understand on some level we're messed up. There's sin, there's something we doubt, there's something we don't believe, there's something that needs to be corrected in the gospel, and sometimes that's a problem more acute than others. Yeah. But on that same spectrum is the reality that you're a chosen, loved child of God who belongs to Jesus through the cross, and your sins are forgiven, and there's nothing you can do to earn his love. And we don't want to be so far over here that we can't actually be a place that we deal with stuff over here, or vice versa. Because if you just live over here, everything's, I'm horrible, I'm horrible, I'm horrible. Well, yeah, and you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. You're loved, you're empowered, and you're new. Right? Let's, let's not forget the gospel. It's not actually biblical counseling if you don't share the biblical truth in the counseling. It's not biblical, it's just counseling. Counseling's okay. I like biblical counseling. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about counseling. I'm just saying, 
hey, if you're going to do biblical counseling, make sure the gospel's there. Okay? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Speaking of counseling sessions, so I think this is so important. It's so important that you understand that I am a member and the elders are members of this church. We have a particular job to do. We have particular responsibilities, even particular authority that are involved in being an elder or a pastor. At the same time, we're one of the church. We're people. The flock that is among you. You can't shepherd a flock if you're not part of the people. You're not part of the team. Uh, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. This is why if someone says, we say to somebody, hey, we'd really like you to be consider being an elder in our church. And they say, no, I don't think so. We say, well, it'd be really cool if you think about it. If you change your mind, let us know. We don't like throw the guilt on and be like, but we need you. I mean, we need, we need people, right? We need elders. We need people, men specifically, who are qualified, who agree with the doctrine of the church, we don't just agree with the doctrine of the church, agree with how the church is structured and formed. Uh, we're Baptists. We don't say that that often, but we're Baptists because in Seattle we don't know what that means. Uh, we have Baptist ecclesiology. We baptize grown-ups, not babies. That's what we do here, and we're Baptists. I'm not afraid of being a Baptist. I just don't think most people know that that means that we're congregational in our structure, and then we baptize grown-ups. They think, I don't, they just don't know. It's Seattle, right? We just don't have a framework for what a Baptist is. If you come from somewhere else, you're like, oh, yeah, Baptist, cool, great. Not Presbyterian, great. <laughs> Got it. And then the half of the, it's funny when you stand here and, like, the people that I know that are in the South giggle and everyone else is like, I don't get the joke. It's all right. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not the joke. I don't want you to remember my jokes, and I don't work on my jokes, so you get a Baptist Presbyterian joke. It's better than, I'll stop myself right there before I start telling Bible jokes I've heard recently. And we're just going to keep moving. <laughs> Stopping myself, and here we go. Um, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Uh, shameful gain, not being greedy. Not being greedy. Uh, once upon a time, I, I think few and far between would think that someone got into the pastorate for the money. Uh, in most churches, that's still, still the case, right? Uh, it turns out there are other churches, not so much in Seattle anymore, but in other places like Texas. If you're from Texas, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just saying, where, where you're surprised, and you're like, uh, <clears throat> that guy make millions of dollars for preaching the gospel? Well, I mean, how many kids does he have? Millions? That's God's money. It belongs to Jesus. We believe all the money in this church belongs. I'm, I mean, I'll, you know, full disclosure, I'm, I'm, a, I'm the full-time staff member of the church, right? But we believe every dime that comes into this church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it needs to be used as such. It belongs to him. And if you want to do real gospel ministry, no, you should not do it for the money. But he's warning here. Don't do it for the greed. Don't do it. And, I, and I think this honestly just extends to just a job, right? Not under compulsion, right? It, it would not be good if you, I mean, if it's me or somebody else, well, yeah, I'm the pastor of Anchor Church because, you know, you got to do something, right? <sighs> no. Get out of here. 
right? Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flocks. So there's two parts to that. Uh, I think the greatest example of what it means not to be domineering uh, is what Paul does in 1 Thessalonians 4. It's one of my favorite examples. He, he straight up says, hey, if you're not listening to me on this one, you can read it for yourself later. It's in 1 Thessalonians 4, it's as if, and this is the remix. But he essentially says, hey, if you're not listening to me, you're not disobeying me, you're disobeying God. Why? Because his whole argument is rooted in the Scripture. So the elders were gentle, were kind, were considerate, and we don't say, hey, you should, you should live in this neighborhood, or you should have this kind of house, or you should have this kind of car, or you should do this kind of work, or you should do this kind of... Because I said so. Right? That's domineering. Now, it is not unreasonable to say, well, you know what it says right here. It says, humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God. So I'm going to exhort you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Right? My job is to exhort towards Scripture and truth and Jesus, not... I don't like the color of car you drive. That would be silly, but I'm trying to be absurd. So not domineering, not being heavy-handed. At the same time, also loving people and telling them what the Bible said. And we'll talk about how a church is structured here in a second because I think it helps explain it. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So what's the best way to encourage the church to be Christian people? You pet guys to be elders at your church who are examples of Christians. If you look at the list of elder qualifications, it's not like, um, I don't want to use a bad example. I'll stop there. Uh, but if you look at the list, it's the stuff you want for every single person in your church. Not greedy. Not a lover of money. Not a lover of much wine. It goes down the list. You don't do strong drink. It goes down the list of these things and says, hey, look out for these guys. They're not the guys. And it even says that those who desire the office of overseer, or elder there, also synonyms, desire a godly thing. So if someone wants to be a pastor, it's a good thing. And sometimes you look at a guy and say, you know, this might not, there might be some circumstance or situation in your life that this wouldn't be helpful for you right now. And we love you. I mean, we would say that now if someone's like, I really want to be an elder, but there's something in your life, even just some, some circumstance, like, Man, your kid's sick or something. We wouldn't want to wish that on anybody. But we say, you know what? You know what you need to do right now? You need to take care of your family. We need help. You gotta take care of your family. We love you. Just do that. Or, or, or you just don't have the whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. But, but really, at the end of the day, we're looking for people who are examples of the flock. So again, not super saints. Not looking for Jesus. Not looking for sinless, perfect people. We're looking for sinners saved by grace who are reasonably mature in the gospel and have the very basics. I mean, you want to look at what it looks like to grow into maturity. Look at the elder list and look at them and say, wow, I am greedy. I need to work on that. And that one's hard because only you know if you're really greedy. I mean, sometimes you look at somebody and say they're greedy, but honestly, there's a good chance that the only one, if you're living a reasonable life, that I could tell you if you're greedy or not, or I could tell, could tell if you're greedy or not, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you and you. So... Talk to him about it. Moving on. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So what he has here in mind for elders are normal Christians who are loving and serving the church. Shepherding, serving, living. And what's amazing here is that it doesn't say, oh, and and by the way, we're going to give you a crown here on earth. 
part of this humility piece, being a humble pastor, being a humble elder, it's always weird to talk about it. It feels you got the lights on, you're talking about humility. It's, it's really uh, intangible, it's hard, it's difficult, uh, but striving for it, myself and the other leaders in the church, as much as we're able uh, to be humble before Christ. Uh, the amazing thing here is it's not our job to pat ourselves on the back or stand up here, oh, look, I'm so humble. Woo! But what? Let Jesus do it. I mean, you want to talk about one of the key marks of humility? Let Jesus worry about it. We'll see it again. Let Jesus worry about it. We'll keep going here. So, members. Uh, so we are, as I mentioned, we're Baptists. So we're congregational. We're non-denominational Baptists, if we're being very technical. We're a congregational church. We believe the church is made up of members, that a church is a body, it's a people. Uh, and those members, if you're a member of this church, you said, I'm going to give of my life to help other people follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a member. Um, and so I think he now focuses on the church, the people in the church, and then he'll focus on the whole church. Likewise, you who are younger, now be careful. Verse 5 has been taken out of context so often and so many times that I'm going to try and rehabilitate it. But you got to stick with me for just a second. Okay, don't tune me out if you've heard it done poorly. Likewise, but you would never tune me out, would you? <laughs> Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Okay, so listen to them. Listen to the elders. He's got younger in mind here. So if there's someone who has been down the road and says, if you drive your car that way, it's going to go right off the road. It's good to listen. Now, I think it's interesting they started with elders. So he's already said, not domineering. So there's a way that the elders should behave. And honestly, part of being congregational means if the elders aren't behaving that way, eh, the elders need to get rid of that elder who's not behaving that way. And if the elders won't do it, the church needs to. That's what it is to be congregational. Um, that's part of the deal, right? So the assumption here is we're dealing with godly men, right? There's an assumption here. These are godly men who are loving Jesus and following the Bible. Be subject to them. When they say, that is going to wreck everything, that is dangerous, I am scared for you, please listen. Please listen, because it's not just my own failures. Let me tell you about how that went really poorly for me, and I would advise you not to do that. It really hurt a lot to do that thing. As a parent, you do that all the time. You're like, you know, jumping up and down on that couch, you are going to hit your head, and it will hurt. Oh, come on. Hmm? Eventually, your head hurts. Um, but here, here are the other part here. So it's not just do what I say, for starters. It's, it's, we're assuming a godliness in the elders and that they're doing that First Thessalonians 4 thing, but he keeps going. Uh, likewise, you are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, hear this. Same verse. I think he has this in mind. Clothe yourselves, all of you. All of you. This is for me, this is for you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So we're all to be humble. We're to, we're to listen. We're to take criticism as Christians. We're, we're to be kind to one another. Uh, it's, I would even say it's not just listen to the elders. It's listen to the church. Be be open with where you're at and listen to the things they have to say. Listen to the church. Listen to the people of God that God has put in your life who are members along with you if you're part of the church, 
who are saying they're giving of themselves to help you follow Jesus, like you're saying that for them. And we do with humility. I think he does have younger singled out here. I mean, I, I think when I was getting ready, I'll use myself as an example of how much of an idiot I am. When I was getting ready, I was feeling called into the preaching ministry. There were times when I would hear other people preach, and I wasn't trying to hear what God had for me. I was thinking about how I would do a better job with the text than they did. And I was so busy thinking about how I would do a better job with the text than they would that I couldn't even hear what they were saying. That sucks. Excuse me, I shouldn't say sucks, but it's not good, right? And I think that can, this can happen. Like if you leave this church and you, you move somewhere else and you go looking for a church, uh, you could even say, Anchor Church was the best church on planet Earth. And now that I'm here in Chattanooga, I need to find another Anchor Church. Well, you know what? We're not the best church on planet Earth. We're this church on planet Earth, and that's pretty good as far as I'm concerned. I love this church, and I think God is doing great and wonderful things here. Um, but as you go there, you, so you could begin to, to create a list, and a checklist, and you're so busy looking at the church and be like, that's lame, and that's not straight, and those chairs should be this way, the curtain should really be gray, and the clock should really be old, and where's the twinkly lights? I, I think a church needs twinkly lights, or whatever you could put in that category that you're so busy being critical, you're not looking at saying, man, is this where God wants me to be? Is this where Jesus' people are? Are these humble? Are these people who are clothing themselves with humility? Does it, does it mean that these people are people who are going to give of themselves to help me follow Jesus? And, and is this a place where I can do the same? I think when we take the Western uh, lenses off, the American lenses off, and say, the band was horrible. I'm not saying Eric was horrible. I thought the music was just great this morning. I Pretty much anybody can play how great they are, and I'm, I'm in, but that's just me. But you, you can spend all your time being so critical about the things in a church that you actually miss what God's doing in that church. It's important for you, especially if you're a member of this church, that you're training that, because part of our member's covenant is if I leave here, I'm going to find another church like this one. You can see our member co covenant online, by the way. You see what we think a member is, and I think it's pretty awesome, by the way. It's clear. It's honestly just an old 1850s Baptist covenant we got from somebody else who got it from some old Baptists, but hey, it's still good. Um, you know, I, 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 think, I think we just need to be humble. This is part of being humble, that, that we can be so proud and arrogant about what is wrong with a preacher or a church or the music or the community or this, that, or the other, that we actually miss, man, what's, what is God doing here? And, and I know that was something I was very guilty of as a younger person. I think that's why I singled younger out here. Okay, humble church, verse 6. This is probably one of my favorite sections of Scripture, by the way. Uh, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so the proper time he might exalt you. This is not king of the hill. This is not survival of the fittest. This is not winning the rat race. This is doing the things that Jesus has called you to do even when they're scary, costly, and risky and trusting him with the scary, costly riskiness of those things. There is something beautiful when you're willing to lay it all on the line and say, this is what Jesus is doing on my, in my life. Uh, it is not a good investment in a worldly sense. It does not make, make sense. It is going to cost and it's going to hurt and it might cost and hurt a lot. Peter's writing to people in suffering. He knows that loving Jesus is costing these people something. That's clear from the letter. There's no mistake about that. And here's the thing. In this life, 
you can do those things and no one is going to start a website about you or throw a parade for you. No one is going to make a Facebook appreciation page for you. Who cares? We love so deeply and desperately to be celebrated in this world and in this life that we miss that Jesus warns when they're busy celebrating you for your good works, you've got your reward. Because what does it say here? Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He might exalt you. There is no greater exaltation than living life with Jesus forever in the new heavens and the new earth with Him forever and ever. Amen. There is no better life than that. And I am willing to put everything on the line and pay the price in every way to get that. Period. And you should too. There is nothing greater in life than Jesus. And there's nothing greater than saying, I will pay every cost to exalt Him and His name and find joy in Him and glorify Him no matter what it costs me. I don't care if it costs me my comfort. I don't care if it costs me my money. I don't care if it costs me my house. I don't care if it costs me my position. I will follow Jesus wherever He will lead me. And this is to be humble. Because in that we're saying, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. When you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He might do scary things in your life. He might do things... I mean, I think my mom is still waiting to see if this whole pastor thing is going to work out for me. Right? There might be things that your parents, your mom, your dad just don't understand and don't get. There might be things when you lay it all on the line for Jesus that nobody else understands, but you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and even when you get there, you might want Him to bear more fruit in that situation than He even does. You might be there, and you're hurting, and you're like, why aren't you moving? The reality is He is. He is moving. He is doing things in your life. He is moving. And maybe it's not the way you want it to be. But that's why we're humbled under the mighty hand of God. Because the way things He wants to be. Because He's the King and not me. Amen. Amen. And so we trust. He goes on, right? And I, I, I don't think that these are um, desperate concepts that we have following that, right? So you've humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God. He's done scary things in your life. At the proper time, He will exalt you. Be not, be not dismayed. But verse 7 Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So you've humbled yourself. I mean, because sometimes we take these things out of context, right? You can put that on a, and it wouldn't be a wrong thing to do, mind you. It wouldn't be a wrong thing to put, uh, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Put it on a magnet, slap it on the fridge. Praise the Lord. No problem. I, I don't have a problem with those kinds of things. I don't need to uh, be rude about them. But connected to the other idea, we've humbled ourselves then under the mighty hand of God. We put ourselves in His will and it is His disposal. And who knows what He wants to do? Who knows what scary things He's going to do in your life for His glory and your joy? And then at the right time, He might exalt you. And in the middle of that, what are we to do? Peter knows. Cast your anxieties on Him. It's not wrong to say, God, I see the pillar of smoke lifting and that is scary. I'm referencing Numbers 9 and 10. pillar of smoke moves. They pick up the Ark of the Covenant, and everybody goes. Well, God, that, that pillar of smoke looks like it's going into Cana. You know they're really tall in Cana. Let's not go in Cana. They're tall there. What Caleb and Joshua do, of course. They cast their anxieties on the Lord. Whatever. 
Who cares? I got God. I mean, let's not forget, I think it's right to point out that the David and Goliath story is not a moralistic story. We say, you know, if you have enough faith, you can go out and conquer the giants in your life, and then you can be a CEO, and everybody will throw you a parade, and it will be awesome. In fact, the one who's like David is more like Jesus, who goes out and kills sin for us, and we're the Israelites back shaking in our knees waiting for him to move. But also, let's not forget that it's an actual story about an actual boy who actually believed in God and actually went out and fought an actual giant and said, I believe God. I believe God. Cast your anxieties on him. Do crazy things for the gospel. You can't do crazy things for the gospel if you're not willing to cast your anxieties on him. And he won't tell you where to do those crazy things unless you're willing to humble yourself under his mighty hand. Now, hear this. Again, I don't think these are... Um, sometimes when you get to the end of Paul's letters, you just start saying random stuff you need. Do this, do that, do that, do that. This is good. That's great. Bop, 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 bop. He's punchy. He's quick. All of a sudden, he gets punchy. You've been writing and writing and writing and writing, Paul. No one knows what you're saying. All of a sudden, you're punchy and quick. Do this. Remember the poor. The very thing he was eager to do. Bop, 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 bop. Close the letter. Let's go. I don't think that's what Peter's doing. I think he's being very intentional about this closing paragraph here. Okay, so... Church, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all anxieties on him because he cares for you. Eight. Church, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Well, how do you know that it's God when you've humbled yourself under his hand? How do you know it's God who's leading you if you're not sober-minded and watchful? It could just be your bad idea. Have you consulted the church? Have you talked to people in your small group? Have you read the Bible? See what it says? If you think God's calling you to do something, and I can show you a verse that says it's sin, he's not calling you to do that thing, by the way. I can say that with confidence. I don't have to be uh, uh, moving in some fantastic way. If you're like, I think I'm going to do this. It's going to really cost my family in this way, and, and you know, blah, 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 blah. Sometimes, eh, I want to say that right. Sometimes the sacrifices can cost your family in huge ways. But, you know, if there's things in here that you're like, well, the Bible says this and you want to do this, that's not God's talking is what I'm trying to say. Okay? Be sober-minded. There's, there's obvious stuff here, right? Inebriation, etc. Obvious. We also happen to live in a time and a place where not only do you need to be sober-minded from intoxicants, but you just need to be careful of the Internet and being caught in the milieu of our culture and our consumerism. Uh, we can be so drunk with consumerism and greed and money and things that you'll never do risky things for the gospel. There's no retirement plan out there. You're not thinking clearly. Well, I'll have to sell my truck. Well, yeah, it's a very nice truck. Jesus is better. We can be so caught up in so many ways. Um, and we just live in a time where we're just bombarded, right? Your TV's on. You go to work. The tunes are... Now you, you have a thing for your phone that's supposed to be where you do your map stuff and you're just watching The Office as you're driving to work, right? Then you get to work and you just put on The Office and you, when your boss comes by, you put solitary... I mean, you put word processor over it, right? And, and then you're listening to your tunes the whole time and you're driving home with your tunes all the time. You watch TV until you fall asleep to the glow of your TV and it's just... So much white noise, you can't even think. You can't be sober-minded. Now, I'm not saying you can't watch The Office. I'm not saying you can't listen to tunes. I'm not saying you can't do all this stuff. I'm saying be sober-minded. Is there quiet in your life enough that you can take time to read the Bible? 
When when was the last time you read the Bible in an uninterrupted way and just started reading when you started reading and stopped when you stopped? Can't be sober-minded if you're not doing those things. You've got to place yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord. Hear from him. He's, He's great. He's ready to talk to you. You want to talk to God? Open his word and start reading. You want to talk to God? Talk to God. Jesus Christ ripped the curtain in two. He died so that there would be no, that there's one mediator between God and man. That's Jesus, who is God. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. You have full access to God through Jesus and his spirit. Talk to him. He hears you. And guess what? The good news of the gospel is even when it doesn't feel like he hears you, he hears you. Well, I don't feel. The Holy Spirit indwells you even when you don't feel like it. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Listen. Listen, again, I don't think this is random. You want to do risky things for the gospel? You want to do risky things for God? You want to lay it all on the line? You want to get rid of all your stuff and follow Jesus? You don't want to be the rich young man? You want to be the different, better rich young man who says, yes, Jesus, I will sell all my things and I will follow you wherever you're going. I will take the risks. I will put the job on the line. I will put the house on the line. You want to be that guy? Guess what? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He does not want you to do great things for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not interested in your greatest glory and your greatest prize being Jesus. He is not interested in you saying, these are things. This is Babylon. This is mammon. Jesus can have it all. He does not want you saying things like that. He does not want you tuning, changing, or rearranging your life to be more and more in line with the will of God. And when I mean the will of God, what he's called you to here. The devil is not interested in those things, friends. The devil is real. He hates you. He wants you to die. Period. There are real, malevolent, spiritual forces in the world, and Jesus is the king. Now listen, though. Again, he's got this encouragement. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's what he wants to do to you. But listen, listen. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your heatherhood throughout the world. The same people who are saying Jesus is my king and everything belongs to Jesus are experiencing the same things you are. And what do we do? We humble ourselves. We're so, he doesn't think that there's not an answer here. Humble yourself. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Resist him. James tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What a great and wonderful, beautiful, amazing promise. You belong to Jesus. You live in his kingdom now. You are part of his family now. And the devil has no hold on you. Doesn't mean he's not going to try. Listen, 10. And after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The God of all grace didn't call you to earthly glory in yourself. The God of all grace did not save you to be healthy and to be wealthy. The God of all glory did not call you for a cushy, 
easy, and soft life. The God of all glory, the God of all grace, has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, which is way better than anything here on planet Earth. This is what we're called to. This is what I want. This is what I want for you. This is what I want you to be hopped up to get after. The eternal glory in Christ, who will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I think this is big picture putting the world back the way it's supposed to be stuff. Okay? I think that's where the restore is. He's going to restore the world. He's going to restore us. But as we do these things, I think these other things are for us now. It's this eternal life now. That when John, for example, says eternal life, it's a quality of life now. It's quantity of life forever with Jesus, but it's quality of life now. Confirm. So this is for deacons. Deacons will have, the, the thing that deacons are promised, again, is not the big house and the, you know, 401k or a 403b or whatever. Like, that's not what deacons are promised. They are promised faith. About faith. Why? Well, because when you're serving in the church, you see miracles. You see crazy things happen. You see crazy things happen. Things that make normal people kind of uncomfortable, in fact, sometimes, I think. And it's always, it's always just at the right time. Uh, I don't endorse C.S. Lewis on all things, but I also want to give the proper footnote to this. Fantastic book, The Screwtape Letters, if you ever read it. And in this book, these two malevolent spiritual forces that are after this guy are saying, be careful. Just when you think you've got this guy right where you want him, you need to know something about the God of the Bible. And this is a total remix. And essentially it goes like this. As humans, we always think that the darkness is the worst. And, and, and the, the senior tempter says to the junior tempter, here's the deal. This God, the Bible, loves in the darkest, hardest, lostest, most desperate moments to move. Why? Great question. I think sometimes it's in the desperate, hardest movements that he confirms, strengthens, and establishes you. Because if it wasn't then, you wouldn't give him the credit for it anyways. Because, friends, he loves you and your joy in his glory more than he loves your comfort. Because he's a good parent. He's a good parent. He loves you more than your comfort. He wants you to rejoice in Him more than He wants you to be comfortable. Now here at 11, to Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He ends with this strong note of praise for Him. I have a lot of wonderful feelings about 12 and 13, but I'll read it quickly just so we can conclude the book. By Sylvanus, by Sylvanus, I'll say this. If you're reading 2 Peter, when you're done here, you're like, I'll read 2 Peter. Why is 2 Peter different? Well, I think Sylvanus wrote down, I think Peter spoke it, I think Peter spoke it in Aramaic, and we can talk about this more afterwards. I'll just say it. This is my theory, theory, Andrew's theory. Peter spoke it in Aramaic, Sylvanus heard it in Aramaic, wrote it in Greek. That's why I think the Greek is good. It's like attic. It's, uh, he uses participles well, optative mood well. None of those things really matter, except for when you get to 2 Peter, you're like, why does this sound different? That's all I care about. I want you to be faithful. 
feel strong and confident in 2 Peter when you get there. If you have more questions about that footnote, I would love to talk to you about it later. A faithful brother, I regard him. I have written to you briefly, uh, your, uh, briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that the, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, likely Rome, code word, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son, wrote Mark's gospel, John Mark. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And how much can he say that because of verse 11? To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we want to be a church that humbles ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Because Jesus has saved us and confirmed us and established us and made us his own. There's no greater gift or treasure than him. Let's pray. King Jesus, help us. Our natural inclination is not to be humble under your mighty hand. But that's right where we want to be. Our, our inclination is to exalt ourselves even in doing good. Help us to be so self-forgetful, Jesus pointing and God glorifying, that we forget how to exalt ourselves. And the only thing we remember to do is to exalt you, to glorify you, to make much of your name. Jesus, help us, protect us, keep us sober-minded, keep us clear our thoughts clear and our affections clear and our hopes clear and our life clear and help us to just do risky things for your glory. Jesus, we love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name. Jesus Christ, amen.